0: This is Molly Hemingway of The Federalist. Join me, my husband Mark of Real Clear Investigations, Kyle Mann of the Babylon Bee, San Francisco Archbishop Salvatore Cordelioni, Lutheran Church Missouri Synod President Matt Harrison, and others for the 2023 Making the Case Conference, Friday, June 16th, and Saturday, June 17th at Concordia University, Chicago. Learn more at issuesetc.org. Making the Case, June 16th and 17th in Chicago. Issuesetc.org.
1: I think the new ethic is founded on the volatile and non-transferable platform of human emotion. It's purely visceral feelings
0: and sentiment, which are themselves inscrutable. The problem with CRT is that it has the same problem that the white nationalists do, just define everybody by their race and not who they are as an individual where you have the white nationalists doing this and you have the critical race theorists doing this. They're just doing it in different directions.
2: But given the challenges that black families face specifically, I don't think it's too much to ask for the leading civil rights organizations to talk more about the importance of the black family than they do about the importance of Planned Parenthood's agenda.
3: And the only way he can justly forgive is by paying the price for those sins himself. And so this is the way humanity can find meaning and purpose and know right from wrong, and that truth's only found within Scripture. Young Lutherans, ages 4 and 6, learn the evening prayer from listening to Issues, etc. I thank you, my Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you will
0: blessed
1: If you know the name Dietrich Bonhoeffer, You probably have a vague recollection that he was a Christian martyr under Nazi Germany, that he was a protester of Nazism through almost all of Hitler's reign. But there's so much more to the story. Oh, yes, maybe he was a participant in some way in a failed attempt to assassinate Hitler. Well, again, there's way more to that story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer and a conspiracy to overthrow Hitler called the black orchestra welcome back to issues etc i'm todd wilkin thanks for tuning us in live on this thursday afternoon the 2nd of march joining us to talk about christian resistance to adolf hitler dr gene edward vieth he's provost and professor of literature emeritus at patrick henry college previously served as culture editor for world magazine he's director of the chronic institute at concordia theological seminary fort wayne indiana and author of numerous books including modern fascism and a recent column for Religion and Liberty Online titled The Conservative and Christian Resistance to Hitler. Ed, welcome back. Yeah, good to be with you again. How do you respond to the modern misconception that the Nazis were actually far-right conservatives?
2: Well, conservatives here tend to want a smaller government. The Nazis wanted a government that controls everything. The modern day conservatives in america put a big emphasis on freedom liberty the nazis wanted to squelch individual freedom and liberty in favor of this mass organic mind embodied by the head of the government the word nazi means national socialism is really a type of socialism that they advocated where again the state controls economics and really every other facet of life. So it was really a radical revolutionary movement that wanted to stamp out traditional values, wanted to stamp out the biblical heritage in Christianity. They wanted to stamp out this whole legacy of free individuals living uh, according to moral principles. Uh, they were trying to create something very new and radical, and history shows how how that worked out. There's also an idea, and this is more along the lines
1: of in kind of fringe groups, that Hitler himself was somehow a Christian.
2: What does the history and evidence tell us? Well, I almost don't know where, where to start with that. No, Hitler came from a Catholic background, but he reacted completely against Christianity because of its Jewish heritage. In other words, because of the Bible. And his desire was to really eliminate what he called the the Jewish element, things like monotheism, that there's one God who transcends the state, transcends nature he wanted to create kind of a more of a nature religion kind of like the old pagans who the nazis really idealized uh, they thought that the pagans were living in harmony with nature and that the jewish influence on a god above nature created alienation from the natural world the jewish heritage created guilt because of the, the idea of a transcendent moral law, which, of course, is part of Christianity too. They believe that you release inmost instincts and that that's the key to eliminating guilt, to reject transcendent morality. They believed in an extreme Darwinism that the law of nature is survival of the fittest, the strong destroy the weak and therefore falls into higher states. Therefore, we should be strong and exterminate the weak who hold us down and breed into a super race. And point by point by point, it's anti-Christian, and there's, there's nothing Christian about it. And the ideas of the moral law transcendent moral reality, these things are still, today, those are, are have been brought back in my book, uh, Modern Fascism. I really document that and uh, show how it operated and how it took hold, but also how it's still. these ideas are still around, and they've really come back in some new forms, but they can be traced right back to the National Socialists of the 30s and 40s. Who was Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Well, he was a, a, a Lutheran theologian. I think he's classified as, as neo-Orthodox, not as Orthodox as we would prefer in Missouri Synod, but he did array himself against a lot of the liberal theology in the, the state church. He's best known today for opposing Hitler at for becoming involved in some way with this plot to assassinate Hitler. And he was put in prison for uh, two years and then he was executed. And that's given him a prominence. And he has some good things to say about the cost of discipleship. That's the name of one of his books, his ethics, his letters and papers from prison, things that he wrote while in prison and in a concentration camp, uh, are really very, very powerful in many ways. History has usually portrayed Bonhoeffer's role
1: in the attempted assassination of Adolf Hitler as somewhat minimal. What has come to light about that?
2: Well, this article you mentioned in uh, Religion and Liberty is a review of a book, Tom Dunkel's uh, White Knights in the Black Orchestra. The extraordinary story of the germans who resisted hitler and in this book the author really has dug in and brought out a lot of facts about this that i are completely new to me and that were very striking now actually this conspiracy he was involved in that the bonhoeffers were part of a big well-connected family and from the beginning even before the war before hitler you know really became hitler they were opposing the, the nazi movement dietrich especially but as things happened his brother-in-law was really the the instigator who who kind of got it started and i'll talk about that in a minute uh, his brother-in-law uh, hans who was married to uh, to a sister and as things happened dietrich got brought in Closer and closer until he became really a major part of a conspiracy that lasted from before the war all the way through to the very end that really was far more pervasive and effective and I realized and Bonhoeffer himself played a big role in funneling information to the allies under the guise of very complicated uh, spy craft. And so he was he was a real a real player in all of this. And the conspiracy, I always thought it was just a kind of a bungled attempt that d- never thrown together at the last minute as the allies are about to march into Berlin. But the conspiracy started before the war, extended throughout the war, and really played a role in the defeat of the Nazis in some kind of important ways.
1: So you had mentioned what the Nazis called the Black Orchestra. Tell us the story of its origins.
2: Well, the term comes from the Gestapo who uncovered a left-wing plot, mainly of communists that tried to overthrow the regime, and they call that the Red Orchestra. But then they soon realized there was something else going on And this was an effort by conservatives, motivated mainly by their Christian faith, and they started calling that the Black Orchestra. And how it happened, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's brother-in-law, Hans Donanyi, worked in the Department of Justice for the German government, and he started what he called the Chronicle of Shame, documenting the crimes and atrocities that the Nazis were responsible for. He did it really before they were they took over the government and then after, before the war, and then as the war got going and all of the atrocities that they did at home, exterminating the the physically disabled and the, the Jews and all. Anyway, this document grew into thousands and thousands of pages. But very early, Anani shared this with a friend of his, Hans Oster, who was a deputy to the German spy agency through the Abwehr, the Department of Military Intelligence. And Oster shared it with his boss, Wilhelm Canaris, who was the head of the Abwehr, and he shared it with his friend Ludwig Beck, who was the army general chief of staff, no less. And this was the beginning of a big effort to, at first, try to have a military coup to get rid of Hitler. And then, as things developed, you know, more and more challenging situations unfolded, and. It turned into a big network because Oster, Ludwig Beck, and Canaris drew more and more people into it until they'd really infiltrated much of the military machine and much of the German bureaucracy, and it turned into this black orchestra, a real threat to the Nazi regime.
1: Who were the so-called German Christians, and why did Bonhoeffer and others oppose
2: them? The German Christians, not to be confused with Germans who were Christians, this is a movement to make Christianity German. It was to turn Christianity into a cultural religion. And it was an effort of Nazis, basically, to take over the state church. And very early, Bonhoeffer was criticizing them for their and the people and theologians who who wanted to do this for their rejection of the bible for their idolatry for their their worldliness for their rejection of historical christianity and and so he opposed them all the way through until when hitler took over the state church put the german christians into power bonhoeffer was instrumental with um, Hermann Sasse, who is well-respected in our Lutheran confessional circles, and others in starting a confessing church, the Confessing Church. At first, it was a group of pastors and congregations who refused to go along with the German Christians. Later, Bonhoeffer was made the head of a seminary for the Confessing Church. Later, the Nazis ordered that to be closed down. It became an underground secret operation. Finally, the Nazis took over that, and Bonhoeffer continued to fight this theological battle against a very heretical movement. We're talking about Christian resistance to Adolf Hitler. Dr. Jean Edward
1: Vieth is our guest. He's author of the book, Modern Fascism. When we come back, how did liberal Bible scholarship in Germany assist with the German Christian's goal to unite church and culture. Church music directors can find a new community at Prelude to Postlude, the CPH Music Blog. Learn helpful tips for managing music ministry and involving members, and meet the composers of some of your favorite new pieces. Plus, find suggestions of music to use for special services, and preview some of our newest works with free samples you can use at your church. Visit us at preludetopostlude.org.
3: Save the date. The 2023 Lutherans for Life National Conference is October 11th through 13th at the Holiday Inn Cincinnati Airport in Erlanger, Kentucky, with visits to the Ark Encounter and Creation Museum. Look for more information in early 2023 at lutheransforlife.org conference. Lutherans for Life, equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. lutheransforlife.org
0: We're supported by listeners like you. You're listening to Issues Etc.
2: For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. This is what we believe and confess at Grace Lutheran Church in Rochester, Minnesota, and we apply this verse through the reverent, joyful, and traditional divine service. If you live in Rochester or are visiting, we invite you to join us for the divine service on Sunday at 9 a.m. or Wednesday at 6 p.m. Our website is gracebythelake.org. Metro East Lutheran High School in Edwardsville, Illinois, is looking for an English teacher with a master's degree for the 2023-24 school year. Edwardsville is 30 minutes from downtown St. Louis. The position would involve teaching upper-level, dual-credit English classes. For more information, send an email to Principal J. Krause,
0: J-A-Y-K-R-A-U-S-E, at M-E-L-H-S dot org, J. Krause at M-E-L-H-S dot org.
1: Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Cetera. We're talking with Dr. Gene Edward Veith about the Christian resistance to Adolf Hitler. Ed, how did liberal Bible scholarship there in Germany assist the German Christians in their goals to uh, fuse the church
2: and culture? Yeah, well, the liberal Bible scholarship had really undermined biblical authority in the state church. And in fact... Uh, there's a great article in the Concordia Theological Quarterly that I used in my book showing that one of the key historical critics, one of his motivations was to eliminate the Jewish factor in Christianity. They claimed that Jesus was not really a Jew. He was a Galilean, and that was more of the Gentile side. And One of the first things that the German Christians did when they took over the state church was to pass a resolution removing the Old Testament from the Bible, because that was Jewish. And that's how all these Jewish ideas came into the, into Western civilization. And so the historical critical approach to the Bible was really part of this mentality that you see in other kinds of liberal theology to make Christianity reflect the culture. Whatever the culture says christianity goes along with it so that it's affirming the dominant culture and that's the same mindset in progressive mainline protestant churches to this day uh you're justifying you know homosexuality sexual revolution feminism all these other things because that's where the culture is well when the culture was going to the nazis that mindset that theological conviction led to the german christian in the same
1: initially the black orchestra or at least the, as an organization did not contemplate assassination what did they want to do with hitler even before the war
2: well the plan was to arrest him and then proclaim a constitutional monarchy after world war one the kaiser was deposed But his grandson was still alive, living in the Netherlands. The plan was to restore the monarchy. That would give this new constitutional monarchy, this new government, legitimacy. And so that was their intention. But interestingly, Oster, Donani's friend, he felt that Hitler had to be killed. So he formed a conspiracy within a conspiracy to shoot Hitler the first chance they got. And they staged a coup attempt and they came very close to doing just that. So tell us the story of this attempt, and
1: it's ironic how Hitler was spared the arrest, but tell us the story of the Black Orchestra's first attempt to arrest Hitler.
2: Well, Hitler only had 15 guards at his residence. So Oster put together an assault team of 60 well-armed soldiers. And the plan was to go through, take out the guards, take out Hitler. And again, Oster was with his men. They were part of the conspiracy within the conspiracy. They weren't going to fool around to arrest him. But everything was in place. And the night before, they're going to make their move. Neville Chamberlain, the Prime Minister of England, called for a last-minute meeting in Munich. Hitler was on the verge of invading Czechoslovakia, and Neville Chamberlain was saying, no, 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 and we had one more chance, let's have one more meeting. So that was the meeting in Munich where Chamberlain basically gave Hitler Czechoslovakia and came back saying, "Well, I've achieved peace in our time." What he didn't realize is Chamberlain also foiled the coup, because when they were going to, just as they were ready to assault Hitler's residence, he wasn't there. He left the night before, spoiling everything. But you know, not only did Chamberlain you know, negotiate away. And Czechoslovakia formed kind of the definition of appeasement as a strategy. He prevented Hitler from being overthrown in Germany at the same time. So after that, there was a, an attempt to assassinate Hitler, not connected with this particular conspiracy, which staged their own attempts to assassinate Hitler. With that, Hitler really built up the security, and it became really hard to approach him, and that foiled the coup plans. And Hitler started, you know, World War II by invading, you know, Poland and, and France, and uh, the Battle of Britain and everything else. It all they had to change their focus in dealing with Hitler. You mentioned.
1: Hitler's growing determination to exterminate. First, it was the physically or mentally disabled, and then eventually, of course, the Jewish people entirely. Why was he determined to do that?
2: Well, it started with a belief, strong belief among the Nazis in euthanasia. And first it was, we'll have mercy killing for those who are terribly sick and dying. It's an act of mercy, just like that's the rhetoric today where we're seeing that, but it gets worse and worse, just as it is getting worse and worse here in countries that have that euthanasia. But then, especially once the worst started, it was, well, the physically disabled, mentally disabled, they're a drain on our resources. We're at war. We don't have the luxury to keep these people alive and care for them. So, Once they had the mentality of life, unworthy of life, that was the name of one of their propaganda films promoting euthanasia, they started going to the hospitals and nursing homes and orphanages and places for the care of the disabled and mentally handicapped, many of them run by by the church, and just taking them out, they developed portable gas chambers to take their lives, and that was the program that they started. Having done that in the concentration camps, the Jews were put there as well as other perceived enemies of the state. They were first used for slave labor, and a lot of the German industrialism for the war effort, the workers were Working as really as slaves. And those who were too weak to work, well, they had the euthanasia program already. They used those. And it kept building and building until the order came to let's just exterminate all the Jews. And that was the policy. And the Black Orchestra, you know, learned about this. They did some great work in helping Jews to escape the country, and trying to publicize the euthanasia program, first in the hospitals and care facilities, and then the concentration camps with the the Jews, and they did what they could. But the horrors of Nazism, unchecked, just grew and grew and grew.
1: How did Bonhoeffer publicly protest Nazism?
2: Well, first in his sermons, then in his writings, he wrote a lot for newspapers and church publications. When he got involved with the controversy between the confessing church faction and the German Christian faction, that was all public. He kept doing it, even as the danger to him and to protesters and anyone who was speaking against the regime got worse and worse, he kept doing it.
1: Dr. Gene Edward Vieth is our guest. We're talking about Christian resistance to Adolf Hitler. We'll find out more about how Bonhoeffer served the resistance outside of Germany.
0: Hey, everyone. I'm so excited to come out to the 2023 Issues, etc. Making the case conference. It's going to be a blast. Kyle Mann of the Babylon Bee. I'm going to be giving a presentation called Making the Case Against Cancel Culture, where I talk about how we write comedy and how Christians need to use art and writing and all of that wonderful stuff to fight against cancel culture and how we have to take a bold stand for the truth using the creative talents that God has given us. It's going to be a great time and I'm so excited to come out and see everybody, meet everybody, and, uh, and talk a little bit about how we write satire and use that to communicate God's truth.
1: You can meet and hear Kyle Mann of the Babylon Bee at the 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference Friday, June 16th and Saturday, June 17th at Concordia University, Chicago. Learn more at issuesetc.org or by giving us a call 618-223-8385. Making the Case June 16th and 17th in River Forest, Illinois. Making Disciples for Life. Across the nation, students are back in school in over 1,800 schools serving children in early childhood through high school. Students are thriving in programs of excellence in a safe, caring Christian environment taught by dedicated teachers. To find a school in your community, visit lcms.org schools. Connect today for information about a Lutheran school for the children in your family at lcms.org schools.
3: Is your child struggling at school? Are you thinking about homeschooling? Would you like help knowing what to teach and how to teach it? The Simply Classical curriculum from Memoria Press provides an enriching, step-by-step, classical Christian education for students who have autism, learning or behavioral difficulties, ADHD, and more. You'll find everything you need, including daily lesson plans to guide your way. Learn more at simplyclassical.com. Use LPR 23 to save on your order
1: simplyclassical.com.
0: Defending the faith, teaching the truth. You're listening to Issues Etc.
1: Issues Etc. guest, Dr. Ben Mays of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana.
0: Here's what Martin Luther says about the pastoral office. My pastor is practicing the virtue that increases God's kingdom, fills heaven with saints, plunders hell, robs the devil, wards off death, represses sin, preserves peace and unity, and plants all kinds of virtue in the people. In a word, he is making a new world. He builds not a poor temporary house, but an eternal and beautiful paradise in which God himself is glad to dwell. We are calling good men to step up. Come to Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana.
1: Learn more about studying for the vocation of pastor at ctsfw.edu or call 1-800-481-2155. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. We're talking about the Christian resistance to Adolf Hitler with Dr. Gene Edward Veith. He's provost and professor of literature emeritus at Patrick Henry College, previously served as culture editor for World Magazine. He's director of the Chronic Institute at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, author of numerous books, including Modern Fascism, and a recent column for Religion and Liberty Online titled The Conservative and Christian Resistance to Hitler. Dr. Veith and his wife, Jacqueline, are leaders in classical Lutheran education. And if you're looking for a classical Lutheran education option for the 2023-24 school year, check out Faith Lutheran School, Plano, Texas. Faith Lutheran provides a classical Lutheran education for pre-K through 12th grade. They also offer online education with student-teacher interaction for high school students worldwide. Faith Lutheran School, Plano, Texas, flsplano.org. Dr. Veith, you had mentioned some of Bonhoeffer's activity in the resistance, but
2: tell us more about that, especially his role in the resistance outside Germany. And, and this was the amazing thing. You have a, a Wilhelm Canaris, head of the military intelligence, the top spy, really, in Germany, who was opposing Hitler. He did things like, one of the thing, ways he did to get the Jews, or some of the Jews, out of the country, he signed them up as his agents and said he's sending them to the United States because it's hard to get spies into the United States. But see, under the cover, these Jews, they'll really be spies for us. And he did something similar for Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer kept speaking. The Nazis shut down the secret seminary. Then they Put out an order that he was not to speak in public at all then they said okay we're gonna draft you into the military send you to the russian front to save bonhoeffer Canaris signed him up with the Avvar, making him an agent making him a spy in his system and he gave his justification, well, we need a spy to keep tabs on the confessing church. Well, once Bonhoeffer was an agent of the Abwehr, there, Canaris used him and his church connections, which were very significant. He, he knew very well the uh, Archbishop of Canterbury in England, and he'd done some ecumenical work, so he knew the leaders in the other churches. So Canaris sent him to Italy, another fascist ally, where he met with Catholic figures who became a vehicle to send information to the Allies. He would also go to Switzerland, and on these missions, he would send information. For example, when the Nazis were planning to invade Poland or or France, that information was sent to the Allies ahead of time. And Bonhoeffer was one of the channels of that, using his ability to, to travel as an agent of the Abwehr and his contacts in these different European places. At one point, the Norwegian Lutheran Church, Norway was occupied by the Nazis. The Norwegian Lutherans really stood up against them. Their bishops all stepped down, and many of the pastors, and they were really resisting. And so Canaris sent Bonhoeffer there to assess the situation. But what he did instead, at Canaris' orders, was to encourage the Norwegian resistance. And so Bonhoeffer was a real secret agent working really for the defeat of Hitler. And he did that until finally— He was arrested, not for being a secret agent, but for continuing to speak out because of his opposition to to Hitler. And he was in prison really for two years. He was in in prison, uh, later sent to a concentration camp, and here he kept writing, and this book that I'm reviewing, Tom Dunkel's White Nights and the Black Orchestra, tells about his relationship with his fiancee who would come visit him and write him and just the courtship that they kept going even while he was in prison. And again, his efforts, some of the guards at the prison were brought into the conspiracy. The Lutheran chaplain at the prison was part of the conspiracy for a long time. And they continued really to do what they could to undermine what was happening.
1: So before the Abwehr was swallowed up by the SS, how thoroughly was it infiltrated by anti Nazis and those opposing Hitler?
2: Well, it's kind of hard to say because Kinera set up he set up a secret department, a secret division, Department Z, headed by his deputy Oster, just to run the conspiracy. But it, it was so that the head of it. Really was the conductor of the black orchestra. Is really a, a remarkable thing. Now, I think I, I read an estimate that maybe one out of ten of the Abwehr agents were part of Canaris' secret network, and they were still getting doing you know spy work for the Nazis. Much of this big entity, and yet, ironically, Canaris himself was undermining it at every point and even giving false information to the Nazis that fouled up some of their operations. Now, the SS had its own intelligent division, the, the SD, and so it ran its operations also. Um, later, when the conspiracy was, was uncovered, Hitler. Well, actually, it was before it was uncovered, but they had gotten suspicious about a lot of these uh, uh, op-air agents, uh, including Canaris. And so Hitler dissolved it, and all intelligence was to be done now by the SS through their SD division. But what that did was to leave big gaps in the intelligence right around D-Day. And so the Germans didn't really know everything that they might have known about the, the Allied invasion, and that really crippled them and had an effect on their ability to fight it. How were the members of the Black Orchestra eventually discovered? Well, again, the Gestapo started investigating. It was Hitler's secret police. Started tapping phones, following people around putting the dots together. And eventually, Donanyi's Chronicle of Shame was discovered. And then Canaris's Diary was discovered. And that name names is need to keep track of everybody and everything that was going on. And soon it just came unraveled. It was exposed. So, the People were arrested, Canaris and uh, Oster, very high up, very well respected throughout the the military machine. And Beck, he was head of the army, because he openly opposed the invasion of Poland, he was forcibly retired, but he kept up his military contacts and aided the conspiracy. Anyway, they were all arrested and... It seemed like the Black Orchestra was uh, dissolved, but it wasn't really because it kept going as more and more people came into it. What was Operation Valkyrie? At the very end of the war, the conspirators wanted to try one more time. They'd already tried to assassinate Hitler three other times. Each time, something weird happened. They put a bomb on. Hitler's airplane, they pulled that off. But for some reason, something wrong with the fuse, it didn't blow up. People volunteered to be suicide bombers, uh, including one who was supposed to show Hitler give a tour of a museum of the battles in the Soviet Union. His bomb didn't work. Uh, Another time, it was something similar to that, that. Hitler left before he was supposed to. Anyway, they kept trying, but a new leader emerged, Klaus von Stauffenberg, and the conspirators started Operation Valkyrie. Again, Klaus von Stauffenberg was another high-ranking military officer who had the privilege of meeting with Hitler for strategy sessions. He along with other uh, military leaders. And so The plan was to smuggle in a bomb and briefcase with a timer. He would leave. Bomb would explode. In the meantime, everything was in place all down the line. In the cities, there were forces that were going to keep order. There was somebody who was going to proclaim the provisional government. They had it all in place. And the plan was to kill Hitler. Then immediately set up this provisional government, which would then negotiate peace with the allies who were getting closer and closer to Germany after D-Day. And they called it Operation Valkyrie. And Klaus von Stauffenberg did his job. He took the briefcase, put it under the table, said, oh, I have a phone call, left, huge explosion, he got on a plane that was in place, taking him back to Berlin to help set up the government. It was just obvious that Hitler had been killed. But he wasn't. He wasn't. Somehow the table was so heavy it shielded him from the main force of the blast. He was scorched, bleeding. His pants were ripped to shreds. <laughs> the author said that he survived. Because of that, Hitler, so enraged, he wanted everybody killed. They'd arrested so many of the black orchestra and other critics. He said, execute them all. And the word went out. He had these brief show trials, and the ones who had been under arrest, Canaris, Oster, they were under house arrest before, They were sent to the concentration camp, the same place where uh, Bonhoeffer was, and he and others were condemned to die. They arrested 7,000 conspirators, which shows how big the number was, and 5,000 of them were executed, including Bonhoeffer and Canaris and Oster. Well, back And um, some of the others, including Rommel, probably the best combat general the Germans had, who was in charge of the D-Day and defense, he was a conspirator. They were allowed to commit suicide, to shoot themselves or take a cyanide pill. The others were just brutally, brutally hanged in the concentration camp.
1: Dr. Gene Edward Vieth is our guest. We're talking about Christian resistance to Adolf Hitler. How was the Black Orchestra important in affecting the course of the war and its aftermath? We'll answer that question next.
3: Issues Etc. listeners are needed to vote for president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has the right to vote through a pastoral and a lay voter, two voters per congregation or parish. Voter registration must be completed by midnight central on March 19th of 2023. Request to be a voter at your congregation for president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Learn more at issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. Listen to the best of the Church's music for the season of Lent at lutheranpublicradio.org. Sacred music for the season of Lent, lutheranpublicradio.org.
0: Your comprehensive source for information, teaching, and truth. You're listening to Issues Etc. Have you heard of the nuns? I'm not talking about Roman Catholic women who wear habits. Rather, I'm talking about
2: those who mark nun on religious preference surveys. It is the fastest growing religious group in the United States, and it's something we need to pay attention to. The March issue of The Lutheran Witness takes up this question regarding where they come from, what they believe, and how we can point them to Christ and Him
1: crucified for the forgiveness of their sins. To learn more, pick up your copy of The Lutheran Witness. Visit witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. talking about the Christian resistance to Adolf Hitler. Dr. Gene Edward Veith is our guest, author of numerous books, including Modern Fascism and a recent column for Religion and Liberty Online uh, titled The Conservative and Christian Resistance to Hitler. Dr. Veith, you had talked a little bit about this before, but go into some more detail about how the Black Orchestra was important in affecting the course of the war and even its aftermath.
2: Well, for example, at the very beginning, Hitler... Took much of the mainland, took France, and was ready to invade England. Canaris told Hitler that the UK had 39 divisions in place ready for the defense of Great Britain. Actually, they only had 16, which Canaris knew. By giving them the false information, Hitler canceled plans for the invasion. Tried to bomb them into submission, the Battle of Britain. But that was Canaris. He was opposing the invasion, trying to stop Hitler, gave him false information. Hitler sent Canaris to Spain to talk Franco into joining the war effort on uh, the side of Germany and Italy. Franco was a fascist after the Spanish Civil War, and he would have been added a lot of. Uh, weight to the german effort so canaris was sent to spain to talk him into joining the war actually he told franco stay out of this and franco did later franco talked about how thankful he was that they spain stayed out of it he set up clandestine meetings himself meeting in secret with figures in allied intelligence And again, we'll never know the extent of what he said and didn't say and the information that he changed, but that had to have had an effect on the war. Now later, the Black Orchestra funneled details of Germany's missile system, the V-1s and the V-2s, the rockets that could have just wreaked havoc, but the Black Orchestra told the Allies about them and where they were being manufactured. And so those sites were heavily, heavily bombed. And although a few of the missiles were made and did have a devastating effect, without the bombing of the facilities, there would have been a lot more and it could have had devastating effect. Black Orchestra stopped that. Again, on D-Day, because Hitler had just dissolved the Abwehr and turned everything into the SD, but the SD didn't really know what was happening. So they had big gaps in intentions, you know, not knowing what they maybe normally would about where the Allies were during the invasion. Plus, Rommel, who was given the defense of Germany, the defense against the D-Day invaders, he was part of the conspiracy and it's been noted that he was brilliant when and when he served in north africa in the tank corps not so brilliant defending after d-day but how much of that was intentional we don't know And rommel was one of those who was forced to commit suicide the chronicles of shame that Donanyi had put together that kind of started the whole conspiracy That was found by the Allies, and that was used in the Nuremberg trials, uncovering Nazi crimes and atrocities. And it led to the conviction of 36 war criminals. And so although the conspiracy failed, it had an effect, and it had an important effect really on the German war effort and played a role in the defeat of the Nazis.
1: Why do you think the ideology of Hitler and of the Nazis remains attractive to this day, if only to a few, but still attractive to this day?
2: Well, I think there's something about the the climate of the time that some of the ideas, the idea that we should be free from an objective moral law that's exhilarating to a lot of people who don't want to obey it. The idea that we should fulfill our animal instincts of sex and violence and power. That appeals to people today. The idea of being at one with a people that, you know, turning against any kind of individualism in favor of becoming this part of a universe organic coal. That appeals to people. But basically, it's a return, it's a reversion to a time and a mindset before Christianity impacted Western civilization. The rebellion against the Bible and against what it teaches and, and, and against kind of the worldview that it inculcates, again, the idea that the world is God's creation there's a moral law, objective, transcendent, grounded in God's character that's above the state, above the individual. I had a colleague talking about this. Uh, Hitler's great propaganda movie was called The Triumph of the Will, a line from Nietzsche. This idea that's so common even today, people don't realize what it realize. the triumph of the will, that the will, we create our own, reality we by our will by our choices create our own morality what's right for us and this triumph of the will that was a big part of nazi ideology that comes from the existentialists. and and still today you know your choice you choose what your sex is you choose uh whether you want to get an abortion or not we are pro-choice Doesn't matter what you choose, as long as there's a choice, whichever way you choose is right for you. All of that's part and parcel of that same mindset that gave us fascism. Life unworthy of life. We have that now with the the euthanasia movement in so many ways. That's the, the spirit of our age. It was defeated in the 1940s, but... The ideas have continued to be out there and are still influential. But again, it's part of that rebellion. It's part of that primal idolatry that Christianity has always been opposed to. And that's always a temptation. Even God's people in the Old Testament were tempted to go back to that paganism of the idol worshipers, the Canaanites, with their child sacrifices and sexual depravity. That's what's happening today, as people try to react against Christianity for something they think is much better. But along with those things come this bloody-mindedness. If you reject morality, you're also going to reject love and compassion and mercy and caring for others, serving others, all of that gets thrown away. And in times of uncertainty, there's that always the temptation to turn to something like to yearn for a strong leader to save us from ourselves and to create the perfect society on earth. Again, Christians know that's never going to happen but we always have to be vigilant against it, and we have to resist it in the different forms it comes from, even if it sounds very nice and progressive, just like the black orchestra resisted what Hitler was doing.
1: Finally, with about a minute, how was Bonhoeffer's opposition to Hitler rooted in his Christianity?
2: Well, when he was— tried in the concentration camp, this was a trial where everybody was sent, was sent to execution. He, he, he said, he said, this is my duty as a Christian. And another member of the resistance who was there, Peter York, said that the root issue is you're having a government, an authoritarian government that's designing all of our allegiance, even when that goes against our allegiance to God. And according to this book that I reviewed, Tom Dunkel's White Knights, he, he's not making a big deal, saying, oh, see, this is conservatism resisted or Christianity resisted. He's just telling what happened. But every one of the key figures that he mentions, he describes as a devout Christian and to be motivated by their faith. And Most of the ones that he mentions were Protestants, that is to say, and and from the Bonhoeffer Circle and the the chaplains and the other people that he he mentions, they're Lutherans. And Lutherans are sometimes condemned for allowing Nazism to happen because we believe in submitting to the government authority and Lutherans are anti-Semitic anyway, it's said. This is a very inspiring book. Because it shows people really standing up for their faith, really standing up for what they know is right, resisting just overt evil, and then evil ideology, really at the expense of their of the risk and then at the expense of their own lives. This is a story about martyrs resisting an evil world, and it's something that I think we all can learn from. Hopefully we won't face that same kind of pressure and risk. And yet, you know, there is pressure and risk in standing up as a Christian in the cost of discipleship, as for calls it, that we all may be called to in different ways. Dr.
1: Gene Edward Vieth is provost and professor of literature emeritus at Patrick Henry College, previously served as culture editor for World Magazine and is director of the Chronic Institute, At Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, he's author of numerous books, including Modern Fascism, and a recent column for Religion and Liberty Online, titled The Conservative and Christian Resistance to Hitler. You'll find a link to this column and to Modern Fascism at our website, issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives. Ed, thank you. Thank you. Abolitionist Wendell Phillips is quoted as saying, eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. Power is ever-stealing From the many to the few, the manna of popular liberty must be gathered each day, or it is rotten. The living sap of today outgrows the dead rind of yesterday. The hand entrusted with power becomes, either from human depravity or esprit de corps, the necessary enemy of the people. And only by continued oversight can the Democrat in office today be prevented from hardening into a despot tomorrow. It's a realistic view of man. Christians hold this realistic view, these anti-Christian views like Nazism, well, not only are unrealistic, but they're also unchristian. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Issues Etc.
0: Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.